the sound of praise for your Sunday morning. The only one who could ever teach me. Introducing Reverend A.R. Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center. Was the son of a preacher man. And Rabbi Joseph Potasnik of Religion on the Line. The only one who could ever teach me. Now, on Talk Radio 77 WABC, here's the Reb and the Rabbi, where faith matters. Good morning, I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard on this early morning version <laughs> episode of the Rev and the Rabbi, our new time, 7 a.m., Rabbi. Yeah, and you and I had such a great time, you know, all night at Times Square. So we're really tired <laughs> today. That's the <laughs> last course, place what? I'd want to be <laughs> on, on New Year's Eve. I mean, I look, I give credit to those who are able to withstand the elements, but that's not something I want to do. I never had the desire to be there. Uh, yeah. But, you know, people celebrate in different ways, and if you think it's it's the right place for you, you know, I'm not judgmental that way. Um, but, uh, you know, we all celebrate. I, I look forward to calling loved ones, calling Colo's friends and saying, uh, you know, uh, happy, healthy New Year. And as I get older and I call friends who are older, they say, what do you call me so late for? Why don't you call me at 10? <laughs> it's, it's midnight. What do you call me at midnight? I say, well, it's New Year's. What should I call you? It's, you know, 6 p.m.? They say, yeah, yeah, we go to sleep shortly thereafter. It's amazing how things change as we go through life, uh, yeah. simple things like that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I read something recently, I may know about that, uh, the famous portrait of the Mona Lisa was taken from the Louvre Museum in Paris years ago. More people, Rev, came to see the blank space than all the years the portrait was hanging there. And I, as I, you know, we begin this new year, I hope people realize a new year is not a guarantee for us. We don't know how many new years we'll have. So therefore, make every day matter uh, because you don't want to be like that painting taken away and everybody comes to look at a blank space. Uh, enjoy, That's true. Enjoy the painting. So uh, that that should be, to me, a resolution for 2022. Uh, keep a diary, 365 days. Put something in there. I did this today. Something constructive, something meaningful. And uh, I, I think reflection uh, and recording those reflections in a journal every day, it allows us to take a look into our own psyche, our own feelings, our own experiences emotionally. Uh, people don't realize the value of that. I am a journaler, and I was going to say a journalist. I'm a journaler. <laughs> Let's get it right. And uh, I believe it's an important exercise. And um, if I hear something good for the day, I'll write it down, put it in my journal and be able to look back at it. I think it's so, so important. So we, we had um, in the news, and I don't know how, it, how he related to the Jewish community in the state of Israel, but Bishop Desmond Tutu, of course, he passed. I had the opportunity to uh, meet him and have breakfast with him, uh, along with Mike Bloomberg and, and uh, some others. And uh, it was a time, you know, post-apartheid, of course. Mm -hmm. And I leaned over at breakfast. I said, so, Bishop, tell me, you know, how is the Christian church in, in South Africa? He said, it's in crisis. I said, why? He said, because during apartheid, it knew what it was for, what it was against. But post-apartheid, it doesn't know what it's for. And that's something, when we don't have something to fight for, all of a sudden we lose our identity. We don't know the reason for our existence. Does that happen? Well, Anatoly Sharansky, who was a prisoner of conscience and held in the gulag in the former Soviet Union, said when he arrived in Israel years later when he was liberated, 
Someone came over and says, you know, when you were in prison, we were much more together. We were much more united in a cause. He says, what, do you want me to go back to prison now so you'll be united? You know, there, <laughs> some people need something, you know, to be united about. It has to be something you're yeah, against something, some, you know, whatever. Something to fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but, you know, Tudu, for, for, for the Jewish community, it's complicated. Because on the one hand, he certainly was a person of achievement who did much to uh, uh, fight against apartheid. But when he came to Israel, we felt he, he really turned a blind eye. Uh, and he, he would often refer to Israel as an apartheid state, which is far, so far from reality. I mean, look at the government of Israel. Look at the treatment, you know, of Arabs living in Israel today. Of course, we have problems. Of course, you know, there are challenges. But my God, to call it apartheid, um, that, that's unfair. That's unjust. And then he said it's time for Jews to forgive those, you know, who committed the atrocity of the Holocaust. Well, don't say that. You know, don't tell us to forgive those who, you know, that— uh, those who were those who were murdered and those who whose lives were completely scarred, you know, you're asking them to forgive. Uh, it's easy for you to forgive, but don't ask others to forgive uh, unless they're ready to make that commitment. And those who are dead don't, you know, aren't able to forgive. So, uh, what does forgiveness look like in a situation like that, Rabbi? Because you know, in our Christian faith, um, forgiveness, repentance—that's those are very important elements. Yeah of our faith experience, because forgiving releases you from the person's sin against you, so that you don't carry the weight and burden of that atrocity against yeah. you. How do you reconcile that? Well, we believe, like look, Holocaust? yeah, we believe, that obviously, that uh, you have to be able to continue your life in a meaningful way, not burdened by, by the hatred, but at the same time, uh, people have to earn forgiveness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't just give this kind of uh, blanket or this easy path to forgiveness. You did something wrong, do something to show that you're repenting. Uh, but we also say we're not going to allow that that person to define who we are. We'll continue to, to be our own person, but you want forgiveness, do something about it. We have a great guest today, by the way, Rev, uh, Bishop Robert Brennan, the new bishop of the Diocese of Brooklyn. And uh, I just want to say that he's he's really very much appreciated by the people uh who live in the diocese, uh, and also uh, who very much appreciated Bishop Nicholas Damazio, his predecessor. Yeah. So uh, it was nice to see the relationship they share and will continue to share. Uh, so Brooklyn Diocese has been enriched by Damazio and now by Brennan. So yeah. we'll be talking. So to stay them. tuned for more of the Rev and the Rabbi right here on 77 WABC. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Pachasnik, the Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCRadio.com. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Pachasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, I was honored a short time ago to attend the installation of the new bishop of the Diocese of Brooklyn, uh, Bishop Robert J. Brennan. I tell you, I was so taken with his warmth, his wit, his wisdom, uh, and also the welcome that he was accorded by his predecessor now, Bishop Nicholas de Marzio, and the overflowing crowd that was there. People really uh, took to him instantly, and you could understand why in his presentation, his demeanor, uh, and we were just so privileged to have him with us today. Welcome, Bishop Robert J. Brennan, Diocese of Brooklyn. Thank you very much, Rabbi. Thank you, Reverend. I'm glad to be able to chat with you. And, you know, for years you were the auxiliary bishop in Rockville Center, and I thought to myself when I learned that, it's always good to have an auxiliary bishop. 
because when anything goes wrong, the bishop can blame the auxiliary. You always, <laughs> you, always you always need someone like we need an auxiliary rabbi, auxiliary reverend. It's good to have uh, someone to point a finger at. But but wherever you've gone, uh, from what I've read, uh, you have made an impact. So let's talk about your your journey uh, in reaching this particular position. But you were Columbus, Rockville Center. Talk about you and uh, how you made the decision even to enter the world of uh, the faith. Well, I I was born in the Bronx, but very early on, when I was about six years old, uh, my family moved out to Long Island, the south shore of Long Island, and I essentially grew up there and spent most of my life there. In fact, all of my life in until I was 57 years old. So I went to school on Long Island. I went to college at St. John's University, which is located here within the Diocese of Brooklyn. I went to the seminary on Long Island. Um, in terms, I, I don't remember a time when I didn't want to be a priest. I I have to say, you know, I've often thought of other things. I, um, I studied math at St. John's. I looked at different um, choices along the way, but I always came back to wanting to be a priest. So I, I, it's hard to kind of pinpoint it. It's something that's always been there and just got louder, you might say, as I got older. Um, I became a diocesan priest, which means, as opposed to, you, you've heard of the different religious orders, like the right. Jesuits, the Franciscans, the Dominicans, but I chose to be a diocesan priest, thinking I was connecting my life to that diocese of Rockville Center, Nassau and Suffolk County, um, and I served very happily there for 30 years and uh, served in a couple of different parishes, served in diocesan work, as you mentioned, was uh, named and ordained an auxiliary bishop. Um, And then in um, 2019, um, I had a call from uh, the uh, Apostolic Nuncio, who's like the Pope's uh, delegate to the United States, telling me that the Holy Father had asked me to go to Columbus. So after spending 30 years as a priest and most of my life before that on Long Island, all of a sudden here I am now um, going to Columbus, Ohio. Uh, And I enjoyed it there an awful lot. Columbus, Ohio is a great city, but I went from two counties on Long Island with a million and a half Catholics out to 23 counties 23 counties with 300,000 Catholics. So there were fewer of us, but we were spread out. Um, and it took in areas, like, uh, and it had a, an urban area around the city of Columbus, a very urban area, had um, suburbs like I was used to on Long Island, and then lots of, lure, of rural counties. Um, so I, in those last couple of years, I experienced a great variety of life, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed seeing different settings for living life and got very close to people there, to the priest I worked with there, um, and was somewhat surprised after only two and a half years to be asked to come back here to Brooklyn. Um, And here again, another major shift now going from 23 counties down to two, going from uh, um, uh, 300,000 back to a million and a half, and uh, going from 11,000 square miles down to 180. So things are a little more compact around here. (laughs) Bishop, I I was just curious. um, You announced that you plan to fully embrace technology to uh, communicate with the younger generation. 
So are you talking about a strong social media presence, uh, virtual services? Is RCIA going to be uh, virtual? And of course, right of Christian initiation of adults well, and these other you things? You know, um, ba basically, with the church in every age needs to use the tools of the age to communicate those eternal truths for us, the, the, the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is the same truth today as it was um, 2,000 years ago. Um, but we, you know, just as Paul, the great apostle in, in that first generation, went around and spoke the language of the different cities in which he visited, um, the, the, the church has to meet um, the new realities, the new uh, challenges, but also the new tools. So it's not, it's not so much shifting to social media, but using social media as one of the tools in our tool basket to be able to proclaim uh, the joy of the gospel and the splendor of truth, the truth that's been there for these years. So, um, you know, Diocese of Brooklyn already has a very robust um, technological approach uh, the, to the sales media. We have television station, um, podcast, and a very, very strong social media presence. So, yes, we definitely want to be able to use that um, and then the other thing is we're working with a group called Glass Canvas that gets it down into even more parish base so that we can put out what we believe, why we believe what we believe in very accessible ways. Um, but nothing changes encounter, and, and um, it, it, Christianity is at its very core an experience of encounter. It's all about um, the, the, that, that God came to live among us so that we might encounter him. And so we encounter the Lord in, in, in our journey with one another. So it's, it's taking technology, it's taking the social media, using it as a way to get into the, the new city, the, not just the streets and the avenues, but the city of, uh, <laughs> of technology, getting into where people are speaking. Um, but, but to use that to draw people into that deeper encounter. Mm -hmm. Bishop, we're going to take a break. For, oh, Reverend, you're back. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. We're, yeah, we're going to take a break. Uh, identify ourselves, the Reverend and Rabbi Show, right here on 77 WABC. Our guest, Bishop Robert Brennan, will be back with more. Stay tuned. All right, Bishop Brennan, I'm glad you spoke about, you know, using technology to meet people where they are, which leads me to this point. I got a call from a reporter, Sharon Crowley, and she mentioned the Pew study where uh, she said three out of ten people are not affiliated with uh, any particular congregation. Uh, and she said, what do you think? And I said, look, that is disconcerting. Uh, even if we're one out of ten, uh, we want ten out of ten. And my mother would tell me, you get them all. Don't just go for the majority. Uh, I'm very concerned because I see young people, for example, who will not join a gym but will hire a trainer or maybe will join a gym but only select one particular class, uh, I think we have to do more to meet people where they are, to find out what some of their needs may be, and also to help them understand that in the world of religion, attendance at services is not the only uh, entry point. 
there are other places, people who do all kinds of good works, who, you know, serve uh, the vulnerable, are also, in, in our eyes, religious. Uh, what do you think about reaching the unaffiliated, some of the, the challenges and the opportunities? Um, yeah, yes, I think that uh, that's a good way of putting it, challenges and opportunities. And in other words, if, uh, you know, you, 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 you go to a lake and there haven't been many fish caught in there, that means there are a lot of fish in the lake to go, <laughs> to go after, yeah, right? right. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and so there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, and you use the term, we use the term accompaniment, and, and I think that's sort of getting at what you were talking about, that, that, that for, the, the gospel is founded on Jesus walking with people, meeting people along the way, um, listening to their experience and their story, but then proposing to them the truth, the truth that he came to to bring. And, um, and it's in that encounter that people in his time were able to see themselves more clearly and be able to see who he was. And for us, that's what we want to do is we want to be able to meet people along the way, walk with them, um, and listen to one another, but always with the idea for us as Christians to present um, the person of Jesus, that encounter, that encounter with Jesus. Um, in terms of uh, young people today, it's an interesting reality. Uh, I, I found this very true in, in Ohio. While you would have large numbers of people completely unaffiliated, those who were affiliated were very very deeply committed. There was, among our young people, there's a real sense for those who are committed, they're really committed. And for those who are engaged, they see themselves as missionaries. And I think one of the things we want to do is strengthen that core. We want to be able to strengthen those who are, to use the term of the Pew study, who are affiliated. We want to be able to encourage them, strengthen them, give them that confidence so that they become the missionaries in the world. Rabbi, you may not know this, but I'm sure the bishop knows this. The Catholics have actually created a category called reverts because there's so many who started out Catholic, grew up. I mean, uh, I grew up Catholic growing up in uh, uh, Spanish country and then coming to the United States. But these are Catholics who left the church or whatever, and they're now coming back, and there's a high number of them. How are they being processed back into the Catholic faith, Bishop? Well, we're talking about individual people, so individual people have individual stories, but um, many people uh, feel that um, perhaps they didn't really have a strong foundation. And when they discovered what the truth of the faith was, it, it excited them. So, um, so people come back in different ways. Um, sometimes it's through a friend. Uh, sometimes it's through a parish. Sometimes it is through social media. So we want to be able to welcome people. Again, we use the same method. It's accompaniment, walking with people, listening to people, but then always proposing what uh, – the, the truth of what the gospel has to offer, and 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 we believe that that's something pretty substantial and something pretty transformational that can change somebody's life. And many of those who would fall into that revert category, who would call themselves reverts, um, uh, they would say that's sort of what got them back when they saw 
that you know, the church stands for something and that it really can transform their lives. Um, hmm. I think we learned during this COVID crisis, and it continues, that we are interdependent, uh, that we cannot go through this right. challenge alone. And it has highlighted the importance of community. And I think of many members of our clergy of different faiths who kept community connected, who mm-hmm. would make the calls, the Zoom programs, whatever okay. they did. But they let their people, their constituents know, we're not going to forget you. We're not discarding you. You are with us now as you were before in a different way, but you're still very much part of our community. And I think that was appreciated. I think many saw that as, you know, I can't be out there traveling alone. That's right. You know, let me go back again to young people. I did a lot of work when I was in Ohio with uh, college campus ministry. Uh, you, you know, Ohio State is a, a pretty big uh, reality to deal with in Columbus, <laughs> yeah. and it's not the only one, but I did a lot of work. And it's an organization, uh, St. Paul um, Outreach, they did a lot of missionary work, and they did a sort of a, an unscientific, but, you know, their own experience um, survey of uh, of young people. And they went through and asked, what are the major issues that college students face today? And um, and so they, uh, they made like a word graph out of it. The thing that came out front and center of it all was loneliness. Mm-hmm. And isn't that something in, a, in an age where mm-hmm. there's that push to go more and more on your own, to be yeah. unaffiliated? The consequence of it is an awful lot of loneliness. And by the way, this was pre-COVID that this was being said. I can imagine um, the extent of that experience today. So-called me generation is uh, can be a lonely generation, obviously. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bishop, what do you say to those who say that the, the church and its institutions are old and irrelevant to, you know, uh, what I'm experiencing today? Uh, in terms of uh, making it applicable to my life and, um, you know, helping me to understand the world around me. What do you say to them? Well, I think that's a challenge for all of us because, again, old, you know, actually, the truths are eternal. (laughs) The truth about who we are (laughs) created as people in God's own image and likeness. And um, and so it goes back. It goes back to to the Bible, to the, and, and, and to the scriptures that that are common to us all. And um, and so the truths are eternal, but it speaks to every person in every age. And and I think that's where we have a challenge in to to be able to help um, speak that the the that joy, I, I use the term, it comes out of papal encyclicals, the joy of the gospel and the splendor of truth, the same reality. But it, it is a, a joy, a liberation in, um, in coming to that experience of faith, of that encounter with, with, with the Lord. And so if we, can, um, if, if we can show that joy, and if we can show, we who believe, we who live it, if we can do that with a, a certain sense of authenticity and joy, that probably speaks more loudly than any other argument we could make. You know, Moses uses you know, that. Bishop, you're, Go ahead. Yeah, I'm Go ahead, sorry, Arthur. Rabbi. I was just going to say he, he's inspiring me here. I, I think, <laughs> Bishop, of the passage in the book of Acts, uh, the day of Pentecost, and uh, it was the power of the uh, Holy Spirit. 
But I think the effectiveness of it is that everyone that was there, uh, the scripture says, heard and understood in their own language. Exactly. Yeah, and that's what it takes. We have to be able to speak the language of the culture, the language of the people, because when they hear it in their language, they're able to relate to it. Yeah. I think of the famous phrase, for example, Moses uses... With our old, with our young, actually, with our young and with our old, that sequence, we will travel together. Uh, even in old age, they shall bear fruit. I mean, right. our, our traditions teach us, don't segregate, that old and young can learn from one another. Uh, and, and you find when you look at the Bible that talks about the various stages of life. Right. Uh, you know, and at every stage, there, there should be a learning experience and a teaching experience. So, you know, just to say someone's old, uh, when we were kids, we thought our parents were old, and we get a little bit older and realize, you know what? They may be a little older, but they're certainly very knowledgeable, uh, and we need them. Uh, so, you know, never uh, remove someone because of age. That's correct. And, you know, that is something we've lost in, in the, the modern culture is that sense of intergenerational living. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that we, we each generation has something to learn from the one before it and the one after it. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Batasnik, where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCRadio.com. So one of the things that I want to ask you is, obviously I'm not a member of the Christian faith, and, uh, yet when I attended I felt very, very... Uh, much a part of the extended family, and you were very gracious. Uh, Let's talk about interfaith relations. I've come to see now that we are closer to one another, closer to people of different faiths, than perhaps we've ever been in human history. Uh, The relationship between Catholics and Jews, outstanding. Yeah, there there are disagreements, but, you know, a friendship is a friendship, and a disagreement is a disagreement. It it should not diminish, uh, you know, the relationship. Uh, and the same thing is true, Reverend Bernard, you know, with members of, of uh, your Christian community. We're close to one another. We, we talk to one another without compromising, you know, our t- autonomy, our integrity, uh, our value system. Uh, talk about that interfaith experience today. I, I think one of the um, more recent, when I say recent, I'm, I'm talking a number of years. I'm talking a generation or so. Um, experiences that, yes, we need to be firmly rooted in who we are and what we believe. And when we're firmly rooted in who we are and what we believe, we can speak more um, respectfully to one another. Um, It's when you try to mix it all together into one big uh, uh, mixture of nothing that that we we kind of get lost and and then dismiss one another but if you if if we're confident in who we are and in what we believe mm-hmm. then um then then and then the other thing is i go back i go back to 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 those first chapters of the book of genesis and we can see within one another the image of the Almighty, because that's what we were created. And so everything has to begin and end with human, uh, the respect for human dignity. Everything. We have to see the, the, the high dignity of each person. So if I really believe what I profess as, as a Catholic Christian, well, then that has to inform the way I look at every other person. 
and, and that's a challenge, isn't it? You know, to see that that image of our Creator, of, of the God who loves us, in in every other person. So, so I think those are the two factors: the respect for dignity of, of other people, and that sense of being secure. If I'm mm-hmm. not secure in my faith, then I become a little defensive. Yeah. How do you address the deep? polarization that's in our nation, how religion has been, among other things, politicized, hijacked. Um, Speak to that, please, Bishop. Well, this polarization occurs at so many, so many levels. Um, uh, And I think that um, this, again, for us as people of faith, that has to be the first piece, and then the ideologies or the political beliefs have to come second. Um, one of one of the things that I found, and it was, it was very frustrating um, in, a, in a swing state, you might say, is that there were always attempts to try to drag the church, because that's my experience, into mm-hmm. the political arguments, you know. And I, I get, uh, again, being in a swing state, um, uh, I'd get daily in the mail things like the church has to condemn this person and support that person, and then <laughs> yeah. quite the, quite the opposite in, in, in the same batch of mail. Um, and it's funny. I heard one evangelical preacher on the radio in Ohio say um, that Jesus Christ was neither right nor left; he was above. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well said. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and 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 basically that's the, that's the thing. So for uh, again, I, I'm speaking as a Catholic Christian. So really, Catholic Christians have an obligation to bring their faith, their experience into the world to 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 let those values to be witnesses to what they believe. And, um, and 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 Jewish people have the same obligation mm-hmm. to bring the faith and the experience into the public spheres. Um, the various denominations of Christians need to do the same. And then we have that dialogue. It's not. It's it's that direction. It's not the other way around. We're not. And I'll just use the major parties. We're not Democrats or Republicans first, and then Christians or Jews or whatever. We're people of faith. And that faith informs how we can have a dialogue on how the world, how in, in the world we can live together. That's the political sphere of it. That's why it was so troubling when someone recently said publicly that America is a is a real uh, place or should be a place of one religion. And we as Jews began to uh, get a little bit nervous when we hear that kind of statement. It echoes, you know, the the past, which was uh, extremely destructive uh, for us. There's room for 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 all the faiths uh, to sit together as one family, and as you say, not to dilute and not to diminish the other. Right. Uh, you know, Rabbi, you say that, and I think about how that reflects the irresponsible use of influence by so many people in positions of power. Yeah. They'll take the platform and just know what they're saying, and yet uh, pander to a voting yeah. block or, yeah. or yeah. a particular yeah, ideology. It plays well. And extreme yeah. is now normal, and, and, and that's a problem. So I'm not a farmer, but i got to share with both of you. I read an article. I don't know if you know what a fractal is, F-R-A-C-T-A-L. 
If you look at cauliflower, it's made up of many fractals. Each one is like a little whole cauliflower. If you take one of those little parts out, it looks like the entire piece. And the fact that you can have all of these fractals together, making up the whole cauliflower, but each one is separate and apart. And to me, that, that's what, so you're not taking anything and changing its identity. You're allowing each one to retain its particular identity, and together it makes a beautiful whole. And I, I'd like to say that that's the place for our, our faith families. We belong, you know, to our traditions. We have respect for the other, but reverence for our own as well. They both need to go hand in hand. Look, uh, Bishop, I remember when years ago, Nostra Aetate, when Jewish leaders met with was it Pope John the Twenty Third, they didn't go with a compromise. They didn't. Go, they said, "Look, we have you know we find the following passages very troubling. We want to you know discuss them." And and the Catholic Church said, "We're going to examine them you know through our lens. You look through your lens." And they came to a very very constructive resolution. But you know it requires commitment to one's faith to be able to listen to the other, and then to say, "How do we find a way?" so we can all live together in a very respectful fashion. That's it. That's yeah. exactly it. Well said. So when you get a cauliflower, take a look at those. <laughs> take a look <laughs> at those. Right. In Columbus, they would know that, I think. Columbus. That's right. <laughs> I'll <laughs> never eat a cauliflower the same way, Rabbi, after <laughs> that, believe me. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're going to come to the, the conclusion now. I just want to say thank you, uh, not only to you, Bishop, but also to Bishop Nicholas DiMarzio, Reverend Bernard and I were privileged to share a relation with him for many years. We sat yeah. together in the Commission of Religious Leaders, um, and he was a you know a very very proud voice uh, in the arena, not afraid to say what he felt, not afraid to take a position uh, when he felt it was necessary, and it wasn't about being popular; it was about being principled. Right. right? But that, but also a man who would listen and right. um, and and if, it, if an idea was good, he'd get behind it. Yeah, and also mm -hmm. the people around you, uh, Vinny Levien, uh, yep. whose father I, I knew for many years, and Adriana Rodriguez, who's with your communications team, and they do such great work in there. You know what? They're young people who are proud Catholics. Isn't that something? That's that's the point, that we have those those who are affiliated, those who are involved, are talented and really uh, generous, uh, energetic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really committed to their their faith, and uh, we've had some incredible interaction working together in many ways on the streets with our food pantry services, et cetera, by linking arms with uh, Catholic charities. So, thank you for going beyond your own, uh, you know, Catholic context and being ecumenical. I've seen more and more of that over the last, uh, I would say, twenty years. Yeah. Bishop, can you offer a prayer for this new calendar year that we just started? That's right. We start a new new year this weekend. This is uh, we welcomed in a new year, and uh, and and so let's. Uh, I'll, I'll, if, it, usually, it's interesting on the um, on the, the feast of on New Year's Day. The reading that we use comes um, from the uh, the scriptures, and it's the the Book of Numbers and. Uh, it's it's the blessing that uh, was given to Moses to give to the people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with kindness and grant you his peace. 
Well, May God watch over each and every one of us in this new year. Amen. 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 Thank Amen, you so Bishop. much. This has Thank been a, you. This is a wonderful beginning, and we look forward to many, many more conversations with you. Uh, I've heard from so many. He's a special guy. <laughs> and I, I want to concur with the sentiment. Reverend, I know you do as well. Thank you I, much. Absolutely. When we first met, uh, you know, there's some people you meet, and immediately you pick up their spirit. And uh, it was just wonderful being in your presence. So, well, you're uh, very we'll, we'll kind, and this is a very welcoming place. Thank you so much. Thank you. Stay safe. Be well. A, uh, a healthy New Year. Happy New Year. God Bye-bye. bless. Bye. God bless. And stay with us. We'll be back with more of the dynamic duo, the Rev and the Rabbi, right here on 77 WABC. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Pachasnik, the Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCRadio.com. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Pachasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, you and I sit on the board of the Sheen Center and named for Bishop Fulton Sheen. He had the uncanny ability when he would preach to look at people eye to eye. You thought he was talking to you. Uh, <laughs> I remember that as a kid. And, and you know, it wasn't, wasn't my faith, but I used to you know, listen to various preaching styles. And I listened to Bishop Brennan being with him. He is a people person. He talks to each individual, making each individual feel that uh, that, that person matters. And I think that's part of the challenge also. You know, people who feel estranged, they say, well, I went to services, but I didn't matter. You know, the rabbi, the reverend, the, you know, the priest didn't, didn't really know me. Um, we have to make every effort uh, to know them as we want them to know us. I think, you know, Rabbi, when you, when you speak in a way that connects to individuals' personal experience, I cannot tell you how many times I've been blessed to hear someone after the service come to me and say, you know, uh, Pastor, it sounded like you were talking directly to me. There, there was no one else in this auditorium but you and I, and you were talking directly to me. And, you know, that, that's, that's where people feel special. They feel reached. Because, you know, in our congregation, we have, we have several thousand people who are gathering for service. And yet to feel so individual that the message connected. So I think that's important, how we communicate the eternal truths that the bishop referred to, because these are principles. You and I draw from right. them, and, 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 and they're, you know, they're beyond you know, expiration dates. These are applied no matter where we are in life or in history. But when you feel that personal connection, it, it, it makes a difference. You know, I remember at my bar mitzvah, so the rabbi then, Samuel Zeitschik, Lynn, Massachusetts, he spoke about the meaning of a mitzvah. You know, uh, talking about if you have 99 cents, you don't have a dollar. Every penny matters. Every mitzvah mm-hmm. matters. Doing one thing, you may think it's irrelevant, it's insignificant, but for the person on the receiving end, it may matter greatly. And it's a world of difference. You know, you, 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 do a, you give someone some food, you give someone an amount of money, no matter how small it is. But to that person, you may have changed, you know, uh, a bitter evening into a better evening. And, and I, exactly. Yeah. And, and I just think we, we cannot overlook, uh, you know, those, the mitzvahs, the good deeds that we do. And, you know, uh, here, was a, here was a bishop, Rockville Center in Columbus, wherever he went, he was always engaged in community, going out to Ohio State, 
you know, now there's a great place where <laughs> basketball is, is rules, uh, and yet he found a place to talk to students uh, and try to make a difference in their lives. And how often has it happened people have come over to us and say, you know, you gave a sermon 20 years ago. You said something that resonated with me and changed my life. Or I met you at a certain place and we spoke about an issue. It changed my life. Never overlook what you can do at that moment. Somebody once asked the question, what's the most important mitzvah? And the answer is the one you're doing at that moment. And uh, mm. I, I just think mm. that, you know, well said. yeah, I think we have to be very, very uh, committed to to the moment <laughs> as well as the <laughs> eternal. Remember, you talk about the mitzvah in this world, and yeah, it's interesting, Jewish tradition, there is very little emphasis on the next world. We say that people have an opportunity to go to the next world, but we don't live for the next world. We go to, we do in this world as much as we can. There's a well-known statement, if you're planting uh, a tree, and in the distance the Messiah is coming, do you stop the planting to welcome the Messiah, or you continue the planting? And Jewish tradition says, you continue the planting. You're, you, you're in this world now, do as much as you can now, and then you know, help, help bring the Messiah closer, but don't stop what you're doing. That's the importance of a mitzvah at the moment. That's very interesting, Rabbi, because, of course, you know, the, even the Protestant Christian community uh, period is not monolithic, but for many of the Christian faith, it was about getting to heaven. And you would do engage in particular works in this life because the next life is what you were striving for, what was most important. But you're saying, no, it's, it's, right. it's what you do and achieve here um, that should be focused on. And sometimes people get so removed in anticipation of some future life that um, they skip the importance of this yeah. life here. So I really appreciate that and bear witness that that is what, you know, Scripture teaches us. You know, it's, it's like there are people worried about the destination, but not about the journey. And you're not going to get to the destination without having a safe journey. And the mitzvah allows you to pave the road uh, so you have a journey which hopefully gets you into that, into that world eventually. Um, and there's so much to do. You, you know, we don't lack for opportunities to do mitzvahs. Uh, so, mm -hmm. you know, and then uh, I remember reading about uh, Doctors Without Borders. And a doctor was asked... Uh, you know, why do you do this? It's dangerous. You go to all these countries. Or, you know, the safety is not uh, always uh, what it should be. He said, I do it because it's a mitzvah. Uh, and I said, there you go. Must have got that speech from the rabbi. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's what you do. It's, I, I was on a program the other day with a Muslim representative, Sheikh uh, Musa Drama. It was about Muslims in Israel. He's very, very supportive of Israel. And I asked him, well, you know, you with all of the concerns you have, why are you so strong uh, in terms of recognition of Israel, getting other Muslim individuals, leaders, groups to support Israel? He says, Rabbi, very simple. It's the right thing to do. And, and I think that's, that's the, the rationale of a mitzvah. It's the right thing to do. Not because you're going to get some reward for it. You do like a reward, but you don't do it on the condition of receiving a reward. Uh, right, so, yeah. right. So, you know, there are opportunities for doing so much good in the world, and, you know, volunteerism is always necessary. Don't just say somebody else will do it. Uh, you have to step out and do it yourself. So, Rabbi, here it is, the first Sunday of the new year, and uh, we're kicking off 2022. Hopefully this uh, current period of COVID will 
somehow uh, reach a point, a peak. According to Fauci, it's going to peak at the end of January. We don't know. But hope, what's the word of hope? What's the word for hope, Rabbi, that we can give to our audience as we begin 2022? First of all, define hope. Yeah, I think, you know, we've often said that we people of faith are prisoners of hope. We believe that, uh, you know, darkness is followed by dawn. As I mentioned to you, the word for darkness and dawn are the same in Jewish tradition. That hope means holding on a little bit longer, knowing that uh, it's going to get better, even though right now it's bitter. That my father taught me that, you know, my parents, as you know, survivors of the Holocaust. I said, how did you hold on? He said, we had hope. We always believed in tomorrow. Today was horrible, but tomorrow was a day that we were hopeful would be better. Um, You know, I think of the tradition about calendars, you know, when when we had paper calendars. You don't see them much anymore. But there was a daily calendar. You'd take the page and discard it at the end of the day. Monthly calendar, you'd you'd circle certain days as being special, then you discard the page. We have what's known as a perpetual calendar. You don't discard any page. Every day matters. Because you Mm. keep thinking, I'll do what I can today, and if it's not a fulfilling day, I will hopefully do something better tomorrow. So uh, we are people who, where hope is indispensable. It's an indispensable element of our our tradition. And I think that's what faith brings. Hope is as as an optimistic state of mind uh, based on positive expectations. And, And I will tell you, I've seen, Rabbi, the effects of hope. I've seen... Uh, hope open the mind to new creative possibilities. People come alive with innovation when they have hope. Uh, they just become more creative, yeah. you know, than, of course, when they're uh, weighted down by despair. I've seen people become highly motivated when they have a sense of hope, uh, when, you know, they have a positive expectation about what the possibilities are for tomorrow in spite of the circumstances. And you and I both preach and teach that life is both threat and promise, adversity with opportunity, opportunity uh, with opposition. That's just the way life is. So hope empowers us. It, 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 it just stirs our hearts to creative possibilities and the exercising of our faith. Do you agree? I was just reading about someone that you and I know fairly well uh, who was diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And he's, mm. he, also his father had it, I think a grandfather had it, and he said he's now learning to prioritize uh, his values and to do as much as he can today because he doesn't know if he's going to have tomorrow, but he lives with the hope that there'll be a tomorrow. Uh, wow. and, and I think, you know, we've seen so many people in desperate situations who don't give up, don't succumb to that passive resignation, and they say, in spite of this, I'm going to look forward to tomorrow. Uh, yeah. Let's yeah. start thinking about tomorrow. Was that a song that uh, uh, was made famous so, over the years? Don't don't stop right. don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow and facing it with hope. And, and you know what? It's proven that people who have hope when they're sick, right? When they're facing some type of disease and and they're going through a healing process, they heal faster. Yeah. When yeah. they are hopeful. All right. Well, I'm hopeful that we'll be together next week. <laughs> as we, as we uh, welcome, you know, a new year that just started and will continue uh, to be and, a year of uh, hope and, and honor. And, of course, our new time. Yes, 7 to 8 every 7 Sunday. 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. Yeah, we want to make sure everybody has... Yeah. 
I, they're moving us in the direction of sunrise? I don't know. Do well, we bring up the sun? Well, we want to make sure people have, they don't rush to church. They're able to walk to church or drive slowly, Listen safely. to the Rev and the Rabbi uh, before you go yeah, to your house of worship, ex- and you'll be okay, right? Even if you're praying at home, you can do it there, too. All right. Thank you so much. Amen. Bye-bye. Uh, Till next time. God bless.